Praise the Lord. Let's, let's sing it again and let's worship Him. Thank God. I appreciate you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Me, Father, I appreciate you. Oh, I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I adore you. Let me bow in your presence. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's appreciate him tonight. Can you just tell him you love him? Hallelujah. Whisper it out to him or just tell him out loud. Jesus, I love you. Hallelujah. I just come to tell you, Lord, that I love you. I come to tell you I appreciate you. Hallelujah. I stand in your presence because I want to be here, Lord. Because there's something about me that causes me to want to come to you. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Am I doing all right? Praise the Lord. You know, if we're not careful, we'll forget the importance of that young man back there. He's just back there, and I don't see him, and not too many people see him, but he's what keeps this thing going. Gets all that beautiful singing on tape and the whole bit and just shuts us off if he wants to and turns us up if he wants to. Got everything right at his fingertips. I appreciate Brother Earl, don't you? I really do. I appreciate it. Praise the Lord. Amen. Of course, that doesn't embarrass him, I know. <laughs> He's not easily embarrassed. St. Luke, the 10th chapter, 38th, down to the end of the chapter, we want to read some scriptures there concerning an argument between two sisters. Anybody ever been into where there's a family argument? You see, they were, they were uh, at odds with one another right in front of Jesus. And whether you know it or not, when we get at odds with our family, it's right in front of Jesus. Because he's always standing right there somewhere. Let's read it. 38th verse, Mary and Martha in contrast. 
Now it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part which shall not be taken away from her. I read all of that just to say and extract one word from that, frustration. Frustration. Can everybody say frustration? Say it. Frustration. Anybody here ever been frustrated? How many has been frustrated in your life? Frustrated. And we're not going to deal with frustration of Mary and Martha. That's uh, another message in itself. But some way or somehow I can identify with Martha. And I can identify with her frustration. It doesn't deal too much with frustration of Martha and what become of it there. But it leaves us there with a lady that's bound to be very fretful and frustrated at the answer that Jesus gave her. Everybody should want to eat. And when you invite a guest into home, then they expect to be fed. And Martha was aware of that. And uh, they expect to be taken care of. They should have their feet washed and they should, uh, should have all the accommodations and everything prepared and then they should be able to sit down to a meal. And Martha, of course, was doing her best and her lazy sister was sitting at Jesus' feet. And she thought that Jesus ought to see that and realize that she had problems and that he ought to make Mary get up from there and come on and help her. And the answer Jesus gave her, one thing is needful. Mary's chosen that good part, and I'm not going to take it away from her. And it doesn't say how that Martha dwelt, dealt with frustration of that day. But I want to deal tonight, if I may, how to cope with frustration. Now, I didn't get this out of a book, and uh, I didn't get it by just deciding this is what I go was going to minister about. I was actually in a state of frustration. <laughs> and that's the best way in the world to get a message is get in the state yourself and begin to feel how it feels and begin to wonder, God, there must be a way out. And there's an old Indian saying that says, don't pray for rain if you don't want to walk in the mud. And I thought, God, that's right too. And so often a lot of us pray for rain and we don't want to walk in the mud. In other words, we're asking for something and we know that the only way to get it is sometimes walking through the mud. It's going to rain. And whenever it rains, there's bound to be mud. And if we don't want to walk in the mud, just don't ask for anything. In other words, if we don't, don't want to endure afflictions and trials and tribulations and temptations, don't ask for anything. Just be satisfied with just exactly what's here at Bethel Tabernacle. Don't have an outreach. Don't care about anybody else, but become satisfied with the status quo exactly the way it is. And then, of course, you got no rain, so you got no mud. 
All you've got to deal with is the dust that gets you in your eyes, and sometimes that is worse than the mud. But before we can cope with frustration, we have to understand what it is and what causes it. Now, I don't know that this is Webster's definition of frustration or not, but after viewing all the frustrations in the Bible and my frustrations and seeing people in different forms of frustration, I've come to the conclusion that frustration is just a form of an adult temper tantrum. <laughs> How many of us have looked at a child throwing a temper tantrum and said that child needs to be set straight? Amen? And I wondered how many times God has looked at us in our frustrated forms throwing adult temper tantrums and uh, says, well, I think I need to set him straight. In other words, that's determination to have things our own way. That's frustration. That's what, that's what creates frustration in our life is our determination to have things our way. Now, frustration is not caused by our circumstance. The circumstances we're in doesn't create our frustrations. What creates our frustrations is our refusal to accept the circumstances that we're in, realizing some things cannot be changed. And I have had a saying that I've been challenged on a few times, and my saying is this, none of us can have everything that we desire. Now, I realize that we have a few things going around, and we'll get to that after a while, but none of us can have everything that we desire. I said that one time when I was taken to Taft by a bright young student of the Bible, and he says, uh, Brother Hoskell, that's against the Bible. I said, is that so? He said, yes, Psalms 37, 4 says that he will give you the desires of thine heart. I said, actually, it does say that. But I said, that's just taking a half a scripture and lifting it out of there and using it. And I said, that never works. If you notice the first part of it, it says, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of thy heart. You see, he just doesn't give you everything you want. There's a price you have to pay. And to get the desires of our heart, the Bible says we have to delight ourselves in the Lord. Then we get the desires of our heart. Well, how do you delight yourself in the Lord? Isaiah 53, 13 describes how we can do that. And he describes as delighting yourself in the Lord as not doing thy own ways, as not finding thy own pleasure, and not speaking thine own words. In other words, what he's actually saying his delighting yourself in the Lord is having the mind of Christ. His desiring God to use you in whatever capacity he chooses to use you and whatever place he chooses to use you, however long he chooses to use you, and use your uh, facilities and use your hands, your feet, your legs, and use your whole thing doing God's bidding, doing pleasure for God and getting pleasure out of doing things for God and not doing or walking in our own ways, that's delighting ourselves in the Lord. And when we do, he'll give us the desires of our heart. Why will he do this? Because our desire is to be pleasing in his sight. <laughs> Hallelujah. So naturally, 
if we want to please God, then he delights in that and he gives us the desires of our heart. So none of us can have everything we desire. God's not Santa Claus. Now, a lot of us try to use him as Santa Claus, but God actually is not Santa Claus. He is the Heavenly Father. He's your Heavenly Father. And being that, he orders our life according to his will and all the tantrums we can throw won't change his mind. Amen? Now, it's a wonderful thing to have faith. And this is a day and hour of, of faith. It, it rings out at you from every place. Almost every channel on the television you turn to are channels and faith-oriented. And people need faith. All of us need faith. And it's a good thing to have faith, but there's a point when we must face reality. Will God change this situation? Is it God's will for this situation to be changed? I realize we've got it sounding out, conceive and believe. All you got to do is just conceive it, just reach out for it, Believe it's yours, and there it is. In other words, it leaves you with the impression that, that if, if you want a $100,000 mention, you just conceive it in your heart, you believe it, and there it is. And a lot of people become despondent, discouraged, downhearted, because they do in their mind conceive it and try to act on the faith as it is. But they never ask, is this according to the divine will of God? Is this what he has programmed for my life? And many of us would have, many of them would have you to believe that they should never be a suffering moment in the life of a child of God, which is strictly against Bible. All you got to do is just read it. Nobody likes to suffer, but yet it's in the Bible. Else, how else would God know what he had? Where is the refining of the silver and the tying of gold if it isn't through these valleys that we walk in and discouraged moments and times when there is no hope for mankind and we have to sink our teeth into God's promise and say, God, here it is. I can't do anything with it. But we have to face reality. I said it's, uh, it's, it's programmed. It's conceive and believe. It's blab it and grab it. I heard a new one here the other day, and uh, you'll probably know where it come from. It said, name it, claim it, and frame it. I'd say, all you got to do is just name it, then claim it, and then put it on a frame, and there it is. Well, that's just about as far as some of our naming, claiming, and framing is going to be. It's just a picture and a vision in our mind, and we frame it there. It never becomes a reality. I'm for us getting everything we can in this life and in this world. And I think God's people need to know that God is our Heavenly Father and He orders our life and He knows where we're at. And some way or somehow, we need to get a hold of Him enough to know whether it's the powers of hell doing this to us or whether it's God's seasoning process. Is this His refining process? Is this His trying process to bring it forth as pure gold. Now there are some things and you'll find it in the Bible all throughout there, there's some things we cannot change. And when we become aware that they cannot be changed 
then to stop frustration of our life, we need to accept them. We need, just need to say, all right, God, I've walked down every avenue I know to walk. I've fulfilled every desire that I feel like you want. I've walked in all the light that I know. And yet this is just like it is now, God. I'm going to accept your will. The apostle Paul had to do it. Peter had to do it. Saints of old had to do it. And you and I must learn to do it. And this would ease at least and perhaps eliminate our frustration. Because after all, frustration is a determination to have things our way. It's an adult temper tantrum. No, oh God, no, 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 no. I'm not going to have it that way. I simply will not accept it that way, God. It can be that way. Have you seen them just fall down on the floor and beat their little fists? Some of them go so far as to bump their head against the wall. Uh, we don't actually do that in the natural. And a lot of us do that in the spiritual. All of us sometimes find ourselves on the floor, bumping our head against the floor and saying, no, no, no. You see, that's frustration. Uh, we're just determined that it's not going to be that way. That's all there is to it. Uh, I would like to take you a trip through the Bible tonight. And I would like to point out, and God took me through the Bible, and there's so many there that there's no way that I could name them all tonight without keeping you here till midnight. I'd hate to just be talking to my wife and her asleep too so, because all of you would be gone and she'd have to stay and she'd probably be asleep. So I'm going to have to cut it down uh, and let you show that there was frustrations or chances or reasons for people to be frustrated all throughout the Bible in many different areas. First, let's look at a man called Andrew. How many know who Andrew was? Did you ever happen to notice? <laughs> and I, I thought that was so funny when I, when I run across it, but yet it was so true. You know who Andrew was? He was Simon Peter's brother. <laughs> now, did you know that he couldn't change the fact that he was Simon Peter's brother and he had to hear himself introduced? Even in the Bible, in John, the first chapter, he was always introduced as Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. <laughs> it's kind of like being Roebuck in Sears and Roebuck. <laughs> Praise the Lord, because you never hear about him. It's just, just Sears. And it's not easy to be a Prince, Prince Philip to a Queen Elizabeth. How many of you men could adapt to that characteristic of falling behind her so many patients? <laughs> having everybody to say, well, that's Queen Elizabeth's husband. <laughs> you, you know the thing, that, and the reason that struck me was this. I don't know how long it was that I was introduced as Brother Martin Hostclaw's son. It's just as if I didn't have a name of my own, and when God called me to preach, I'd go to fellowship meetings, I was introduced as Brother Martin Hostclaw's son. <laughs> Frustration, huh? <laughs> and I thought, I thought, my God, ain't I, aren't I ever going to have a name? I mean, am I going to go through life <laughs> just, just being introduced? Now, what, what would you think of the great big headlines? Brother Martin Host Clause Son Pastors Bethel Tabernacle. And it seemed like it was headed that direction. 
And, and it was frustrating. I said, Dad, can't you do anything about it? And he'd go to him and he'd say, he'd say, that's my son. His name is Roy. And then he'd say it again. His name is Roy. And he's a minister. He's been preaching for so many years. And, of course, Dad was well-known in southern Illinois and in around that portion. And every time I'd go there, now we want a few words from Brother Martin Hostclaw's son. Come on, son. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Frustration. But he couldn't change that. He had to live with it. And he had to walk with it and live with it and walk with it. He did. You see, there's just some things that you can't change. If you're Prince Philip and you want to be married to Queen Elizabeth, then you're just going to have to be Prince Philip to Queen Elizabeth. She, in other words, is the highest one and makes the biggest shadow. And it's just, as I said again, it's just like being Roebuck and Sears and Roebuck. You just shorten it as Sears. I went to Sears. And sometimes we have to stay in the shadows. I thought of that as Brother Earl sits back there in that corner. <laughs> hey, I stay back there. Very seldom do you guys ever pay too much attention to him. And the only way I do is when this thing's not working right, and then I happen to think he's back there. And there he is just the same, twisting those knobs, doing the best he can, and he doesn't complain at all. Some things you just can't change. He's just there. Or he could say, I'm not going to do it anymore, Lord. I'm not going to do it. And he could become frustrated because God would come down heavy on him and say, son, you asked for a job. You got one. Now then, do it. But, Lord, that isn't what I wanted. <laughs> you know, all of us have asked, God, give me something to do. God, help me. I need to do something. I need to feel needed. And the Lord will say, get in your closet and pray. In my closet? But God, nobody will ever know I'm in there. I didn't want to do that. Besides that, I can't pray very long anyway. In fact, I can't pray at all. Let me, give me a big testimony. Let me be able, let something wonderful happen in my life. I can stand up and tell the people about it. They'll see how good I am and how you bless me. Now, come on. You might shake your head that you know you've entertained those thoughts. And God said you wanted something to do. Now get in the closet and stay there. Or make a telephone call to somebody. Or just tell somebody to have a good day. They may never know who you are. What difference does it make? But we ask for something to do. And many times when we ask for something to do, God will always open the door. But it's not the circumstances we're in. It's our refusal to accept those circumstances that cause you to be fretful and weary and frustrated beyond our capacity. And I, I thought as I knelt down in my office, and that's where it was born. I said, God, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do. And that's when I thought, well, you're acting just like a, a spoiled child. And that's when he began to talk. There's some things you can't change. <laughs> he didn't tell me that there's some people you can't change, but that I thought in myself, I know there's some people you're never going to change. And he said, there's some things you can't change. You see, I just talked to somebody, and, and probably for the umpteenth time, I suppose, <laughs> and it's not from here, so don't, don't get upset or worried about it. And I just talked to him and I told him the same thing. And I told him for years and had done one bit of good. 
And you see, I, I become frustrated. And God said, there's some things you can't change. That's a circumstance. You can't change that. You can deal with it as the best of your ability. Into us. Sometimes it's foreign to us. We don't feel comfortable in it. We'd rather be someplace else or else we'll never be noticed by it. That's just, everybody just can't be noticed. You know? Everybody can't stand up here and, and rear back and get in a big booming voice like I can and, and attract your attention. You see, a preacher's going to be noticed for what he does and what he doesn't do. So it's really not a comfortable position either. But a lot of us feel like that. The singers, we're noticed, and that's fine. God gives that talent. But there's some people got nothing that God wants them to do that simply enter into the closet and stay there and intercede. God doesn't say we can change anything. He says intercede. If there's changes done, he has to do it. I was reading in uh, uh, the Alcoholics Anonymous book, I have read several of them before. And I was reading in that book which said something that I had been feeling guilty about for a long time, and yet I couldn't change it. It said if you're talking to somebody and you explain a program or how they can come off of alcohol and tell them what they have to do, and they keep insisting that they can take a drink when they get ready and quit when they get ready, it says, don't bother with them. You can't help them. I thought, that seems cruel. And it says, you'll have to leave them there until they have hit rock bottom and want help and will accept what you have to say. Then you can help them. I thought, God, we as Christian people, and especially as ministers, have fretted and wearied and stewed and become frustrated because we couldn't change people's lives. I call somewhere, somehow, we couldn't reach into their soul and make them want to do better than they're doing. And then we feel guilty sometimes when the Spirit withdraws us from those individuals and says, leave them alone until they actually want something and then be there ready to pick up the pieces. But always be sure you're there. You know the problem we had in Rosie Claire, and it may be here too, we spend a lot of time, a lot of our time ginning our wheels on the individuals that don't want to be helped. Amen, Brother Hoskell, that's good preaching. We spend our time in, in telephone calls and visitations and all of this in people that do not want anything more than they've got. While all the time laying somewhere is a disrupt soul that needs somebody to reach out and give them a helping hand. And we become frustrated because we can't help those individuals. It's not the circumstances God's put us in. It's our determination not to accept those circumstances. The church has become, I'm not going to say us. I don't know exactly where we stand. But it's become a society, very close-knit society. And if we're not careful, nobody else is allowed in the inner circle. I mean, we have certain ones, certain individuals. I want to see this one saved. I want to see that one saved. And that's fine. But we get our wheels, spend our time in prayer and requesting prayer for people like this and have for years. And they've never changed. 
and we rub shoulders with people every day how the inside's breaking up would like to just hear somebody say something about Jesus my wife was talking on a telephone call this morning on business and left the door open just a little bit and this lady broke down and began to, to just weep her heart out and her, her problems where her and her husband had lived together for years got a divorce another woman had been in there and everybody she'd been associated with was choosing sides bitterness here and bitterness there and the door was shut completely on her and she needed somebody to talk to but you have to leave a door open you have to let people know you're willing to discuss what they want to discuss and many times in many areas God leads us there and we think it's just a coincidence but we have David have you ever looked at that man's life he had more opportunities to become frustrated and this one especially here although it ruled Israel doing its greatest peace and prosperity the one thing that he wanted the most and one of his deepest desires was denied him now let's look at it as for me David wrote I had in mine heart to build an house of rest for the ark of the covenant of the Lord for the footstool of our God and had made ready for the building but God said unto me thou shalt not build in other words David had in his heart to build a permanent place for the ark of the covenant and for God to dwell every place that had ever dwelt was in a tabernacle covered with skin and David was living in a palace all of Israel was dwelling there too and the house of God there wasn't any still that same thing and God said no David you can't build now first Chronicles 22 and you just mark it there God tells David why he can't build he said thou hast shed blood abundantly thou hast made great wars thou hast built a house and thou shalt not build a house into my name of course thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight now then that sounds like a good reason until you begin to see what David could have saw David could have said and the circumstances he's in he could have pounded the floor he could have been his head against the floor and said but God somebody had to kill Goliath amen somebody had to fight the Philistines somebody had to protect Israel somebody had to fight these wars and you chose me to be king now God how can you say and blame me for the blood that's in your sight on this earth whenever it was you you see God can do what he wants to do and God's a just God and a good God but David could have complained he could have griped and he could have groaned and a habitual complainer and a man in David's shoes that was a habitual complainer would have stormed heaven and demanded that God give him the desires of his heart or else he just quit. How many of you said that? God just quit. I mean, whatever I do for you don't seem to be right. You know, you don't treat me right. I do this, I do that, and I do something else, and, and you don't ever notice it. And if you do notice it, then you, then, you, then you find something wrong with it. So, a man that has been a habitual complainer, you know, I find this in our lives. I find it in mine. I don't like it. I say, I don't like it. 
Of course, you can become habitual in complaining. And the first thing you know, nothing, nobody anywhere satisfies you. Nobody can do it like you can do it. Bless God. I mean, you can just get the job done the way it ought to be done. And look at them, old brother and sister, so-and-so. I don't understand them at all. You see, as circumstances, you're determined to have your way. It's better, after all, than theirs anyway. Now, all of us know that our ways is better than the other person's ways. You know that, don't you? I know that the way I think is better than the way you think. And I'm sure most of you uh, in areas think that you could do a better job than I've done, or I will do. And I'm sure a lot of these things come to point. But a complaining individual would have stormed heaven would have thrown a tantrum, an adult temper tantrum, and demanded his rights. <laughs> this is a day and hour when, hey, I got my rights, you know. Hey, ladies, you got their rights. The, the minorities have got their rights, and everybody's got their rights. And David could have said, I've got my rights. I'm king of Israel, and I want to build your house, and bless God, I'm going to build it. But instead, instead, instead of playing like a lot of frustrated people, saying, if you're not going to play my way, I'm not going to play. When we were kids, you didn't have, of course, kids who got toys of their own anymore. I mean, you know, everybody's got it. But when we were kids, why, uh, football was a big deal. I never did play much because we didn't have a team. But football was a big deal. And there was one boy that had a football. The rest of us didn't have one. So we had to play by his rules. <laughs> And the way he wanted to, or he'd take his football and go home, and we wouldn't be playing at all. And that's the way a lot of us are with God. I mean, God, you're going to do it my way, or I'll just take my little other handkerchief and I'll go home. I mean, God, this is the way it's got to be. After all, do you think I'm an idiot of some type? But David was not that type of an individual. He was an individual that realized what one National League umpire wrote. This National League umpire said it's the poor hitters that kick dust up in our face and complain about our calls. He says the great hitters who know the strike zone accept the judgment of the umpire. And I thought that's a good one to use. I read that one place in the paper. And I put that down. I thought that's a good one to use. I'll insert that in there. It's the great men and women, boys and girls of God, that know where the strike zone is, that accept the judgment of Almighty God, and no question it. And saying, God, in spite of what I think, accept our limitations. We need to accept our limitation, but that doesn't mean that we're defeated. That doesn't mean we're defeated at all. Quite the contrary. Listen to what David said. David said, in, in essence, if I can't build a temple, what can I do? And God more or less said, you can get everything ready for it, David. <laughs> David could have said, well, <laughs> I don't know whether I like that or not because I'll get all this work together and I'll get the material I'll go where it's at and I'll get the cedars from Cyprus. I'll get all the money together and I'll get everything ready to build a temple. And then my son Solomon comes along and builds a temple and you know what they're going to call that temple? Solomon's temple. 
instead of David's temple. David could have said that. But he said, no, God, if you don't want me to build a temple, I'll accept the fact that I'm a man of blood. I'll accept that fact that you've got a very important reason and accepting that, God, whatever you want me to do to prepare to build that temple. In other words, he's saying, God, all I want is for you to have a place to dwell. That's all I'm interested in. I don't care who provides that place. And friend, we ought to say that from our heart, God. I don't care where individuals go as long as they're in the house of God and have got a place for you to dwell in. Amen. It's not easy to get second billing. But David had more concern for the will of God than for his own glory. God help us to pass that. Instead of becoming frustrated, David encouraged Solomon in building the temple. He said and told him what he had to do. David had learned that the team is more important than the individual. And it takes a big man, a big woman, boy or girl to move over. Have you ever considered Philip the evangelist? Have you ever looked at this man? He was in the midst of one of the greatest revivals that has ever been conducted in Samaria. Acts 8, 7, 8 says, For our unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, Oh, God, give us those days, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsy that were lame were healed, and there was great joy in that city. Revival was there. Demonic forces have to give way to the authority of God. Healings everywhere. Salvation, souls crying out for salvation, receiving it. A Holy Ghost people was receiving it everywhere. Revival in Samaria. And according to history, it changed that whole city. There was joy in that city. And then in the middle of it, it wasn't over. Then in the middle of it, God told Philip not to pursue it. Don't pursue it. I'm going to say something here. I don't want to say it harsh. But there's been a little flat when we closed the revival. Some people thought it ought to be closed for various reasons. You see, sometimes we don't go by what it looks like on the outside. We go by what God I feel like as pastor has been that way. I think I know God's will. I know what God wants. You'll see it if you stay with me. You'll see that I'm right in the near future. But he told Philip, listen, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go south into the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. you see the souls being saved? Don't you see what's happening here? Don't you see the devils moving out? Can't you see God revival in this city? And you're asking me to go to Gaza, which is desert, when there's water every place, spiritual water. You're asking me to come from the big city to Hicksville? You're asking me to go from multitudes to one man? I refuse. But let me ask you a question. How many 
of our big time evangelist would have accepted this as the genuine, genuine word from God. I want you to hear me. I want to get right down to where we're at. All ministers and lay members alike. And I want you to look, and I'm not against your TV, and I want you to look at all of these and having these huge crusades. And they won't come unless you can promise them so many that will be there. They won't come. Because after all, look who they are. And they don't have time to mess with a piddly few thousand people. They must have millions. How many of them would have accepted that as a genuine word from God that says leave the revival as it is and go to Gaza, which is desert? I dare say very few. But the Bible says Philip arose and went. And when he got there, what did he find? Not a million people searching. He could have been frustrated. He could have said, God, I don't understand why you do this. I've said it and you've said it. I don't know why this had to happen to me. Look what was happening. And of course, Philip could have rose and went. With, with a desire in his heart, thinking, well, I know it's desert. God can call streams in the desert. If I go, there will bound to be a lot of people there. But Philip arose and went, and he found one man, a eunuch, reading his Bible. My, what a command. Frustrated Philip, my God. <laughs> That's a eunuch over there, and he's reading his Bible, and he don't even have sense enough to know what here I am, left somewhere. All of that that's going on. I was being a big man there, and here I am. Sitting down here, and there's a guy over there reading. And Philip goes to him and said, Well, okay, I guess we'll talk to him while I'm here. Understandest thou what thou readest? <laughs> he said, Why, no. <laughs> I don't understand it. How can I understand it unless somebody tells me? Philip could have said, Why, that dumb fellow. There he's got the Word of God in front of him and reading it. He don't even know what he's reading. I can't mess with him. I can't ever get anything into him. But Philip began to expound the word of God. He began to tell him what he needed. Hallelujah. And then he, began, he evidently crossed baptism. Because <laughs> the man said, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? Here old Philip was just going right along. And they went and baptized him. And do you know this man took that message back to his country and stirred his whole nation with that because we had a man instead of kicking against what God wanted accepted his will and saved the nation and saved souls a lot more than he would have saved if he would have stayed in Samaria he could have been frustrated but he recognized the word and the voice of God and he went God help us Paul had to submit to God's divine order. He was determined that the gospel should move to the Orient, and everything looked like it should. He'd had success in Asia Minor. He'd had success in Ephesus, Berea. He'd had success in Coloth, Antioch. All of this indicated this was the direction he should go. But Acts 16, 7, they said, They have said to go into Bethaia, but the Spirit suffered them not. You ever looked at Elijah's life? I mean, here was a man that stood against 450 prophets or 450 prophets of Baal, 
400 prophets of the grove, 850 to 1 stood against all those odds. And God demonstrated himself through his power and through his fire. And here was a man that was overwrought. Here was a man that suffered burnout. Here was a man that was completely frustrated. Because Jezebel said, Away my prophets are today, so where are you going to be tomorrow? And Elijah girded up his loins and ran. Now here was a man that stood face to face, 450 of them. And Jezebel comes and said, I'm going to have your life. And Elijah was, was, I suppose he was frustrated, confused. He couldn't understand it. And when God found him, he says, Elijah, what are you doing here? <laughs> Elijah could have said, well, I'm having a tantrum. I'm throwing a tantrum, Lord, because I've took up for you. <laughs> I, I preached for you. I stood against the prophets of Baal. And now then, here I am, and I'm the only one in the world that's serving you. How many of us ever thought this? <laughs> there ain't nobody else. We're all birds here. <laughs> and God said, but Elijah, I've got seven. How about old Jonah? I mean, you talk about frustration. <laughs> here, here was a man that run. He didn't want to do it in the first place. <laughs> got swallowed by a big fish. Got thrown up on the land. Went and covered, covered the city. And, <laughs> and delivered God's message. And then <laughs> went up to see what was going to happen to the city. <laughs> and in the meantime, they had repented and God had changed his mind. There was old Jonah there. Looking already for God to breathe fire down from heaven and destroy it, and God would forgive him. Jonah's sitting up there. God, I can't understand that. Why didn't you just leave me where I was at? And you made me go through all of that to preach to people, and now you forgive them. And Jonah said, Why don't you just kill me and get it over with? God, why don't you just get, get rid of me? In other words, I've been through all of this and I preach your word for you. And now that I'd like to at least see one or two die. Or you read it. I mean, it's not the way it said it, that that's the way he was. And if we're not careful, God help us preachers and lay members. If we're not careful, we'll be just like they are in the New Testament. Whenever the people wasn't following them, doing right, they, they said, Lord, burn them up. In other words, call fire down from heaven and burn them up. That's what they deserve. And if we're not careful, we exhaust all our measures and efforts, and then we sit back on our pious look, say, Lord, pour it on them. Give it to them. Pour it on them. Burn them a little bit. Make them know who you are and make them know what we said is so. You know, we prophesied. Jonah prophesied. He said, yet 40 days. <laughs> That's all you got. 40 days. Went up and took his, took his roost there and waited for the 40 days. Here they come. Nothing happened. The city's hit like a God, but you promised. <laughs> and you promised. And then God got to feeling sorry for him and he caused the gourd to grow up. And old Jonah said, well, I'll, I'll, God's been merciful to me. He's going to do something. So I'm going to sit back here under this gourd and see what he's going to do to the city. Okay, Lord, pour it on him. And instead of pouring it on the city, he brought a worm. That worm eat that gourd, man. 
and old Jonah were in the sun again. Oh, frustration. I mean, frustration. Nobody could have been any more frustrated than he was to notice what he said. The Lord said, they can't deserve their right hand from me. And you preached to them. And they got in sackcloth and ashes. You wanted me to have mercy on that gourd because it was shaving you. And how much more important are those people and the beast and this gourd? You see, he's trying to teach Jonah a lesson. I don't know if he ever learned it or not. I need to get through here. Paul shares the secret in overcoming frustration, and we've used this time and time again. And I read a commentary that reads this way. This is what Paul said. I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means. I know how to live in prosperity. He's got one on me. I don't know how to do that. In any and every circumstances, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And this, as small as it may seem, is a secret to frustrations, to frets and weary. Leave it in God's hands. We need to say this, God, if this situation goes wrong or doesn't get any better, there isn't any more I can do about it. It's your problem before it's mine. And I believe that. It's God's problem before it's ours. The remedy for frustration is do what you can and then trust God. Children, we tonight have a place in God's kingdom. All of us. And when we get out of our place, we create frustration. Anxiety and weary. And medicine and therapy can help ease it. But adjustment to the will of God can cure it. So when frustration come and they do and they will do what we can search our lives from every avenue. change what needs to be changed and then if circumstances don't change accept it and leave it in God's hands be a lot less nervous breakdown be a lot less family squabbling be a lot less arguing just realize there's some things that God has on order for us. The quicker we undergo them, the quicker we undergo them, the stronger we When I was in school, they don't do it anymore. I don't think. When I was in school, if they give you a test, you had to pass it didn't they give you another because you did anymore I mean they just put it pass you anyway I mean if the parents uh, put up a big fuss you know about it I put him on through but that wasn't the way it was with us I mean we had to learn it if we if we didn't learn it we just kept taking tests until we passed them well God's the old fashioned school that you can I mean there's certain tests that you've got to go through and if you don't pass it one time well, he'll give you a few more times to study up on it and prepare for it and then you'll shoot it to you again 
And he'll keep doing it until you pass it or until you get too old and he throws you out of school. Shall we stand?